Red Rocks Church. How we doing today? We doing okay? Come on, come on. Hey, if you're joining with us for the first time or maybe you're watching online, my name is Ronnie. I'm the campus pastor here at our Littleton campus. And I get the amazing privilege and honor of uh, communicating God's word to us this weekend. So I hope you came excited. I hope you came expectant. If you can, Red Rocks Church, can you help me welcome all of our Denver-based locations, our Brussels campus, everybody watching online, and our God Behind Bars campuses. We love you guys so much. family, the family of Red Rocks Church. It's cool to see how God continues to disperse Red Rocks throughout not only the Denver area, but throughout the nations of the world. And we got people watching from all over the world. So we're so glad you're tuning in. We treat you like family. We're glad that you're here. Um, many of you um, that have been coming here for a while, we've had an opportunity to interact a little bit, and you've heard a little bit of my story. Um, I'm a pastor's kid from Midwest near Chicago, um, and I grew up in a family of eight children. I know, I know, that's a lot, that's a lot. Um, but growing up in the church, I'm a pastor's kid, and so really from week one out of the womb, I spent my first week out of the womb in church. And so it's kind of been the same pattern throughout most of my life. And really, when you grow up in church, you have a lot of opportunities to learn about Jesus so thoroughly. And so you're watching back in the day on the flannel graphs, and people are putting pictures up of David and Goliath, and you're seeing the miracles of Jesus. You're seeing Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead, and that's so cool. And then you're seeing Jesus take five loaves and two fish and feed thousands of people. Oh my gosh, so cool. You're seeing God turn water into wine. I don't necessarily remember the flannel graph of that one, but um, you're learning about all the miracles of Jesus growing up. But one of the things that you don't really hear a lot about when you're learning about Jesus is how much Jesus ate. If you think about the context of the gospel narrative, when you read about the stories, the, the life of Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, um, oftentimes we find Jesus and he's sharing a meal with somebody or he's at a party sharing a meal with a group of people. Jesus did a lot of eating, and when you start reading about the stories of Jesus, he's eating, and then he's traveling to a new place, and he's walking, and he's, he's eating, and then he's walking, and then he's eating, and then he's walking, and oftentimes, um, as Christ followers, um, I'm guilty of this as well, the things that I gravitate towards mimicking Christ in are often the things that I would call the eating like Jesus ate, the things that are satisfactory, the things that are enjoyable, the things that bring some pleasure. Those parts of Christianity, I'm all in. I, man, I'm all in for the prayer session. I'm all in for the good book, cuzzling up by the fire, reading my Bible. I'm all in for life groups. I'm all in for worship services and worship nights, worship on the rocks. I'm in for all of those sort of things. But then there's the other aspect of Jesus' life where he had to walk some things out. Usually, if you're like me, which I'm assuming that most of you are because you're human, um, we try to tend to gravitate towards eating like Jesus, but not necessarily walking like Jesus. And I heard a joke recently that if you eat like Jesus, but don't walk like Jesus, you end up looking like Buddha. But it's really easy um, to look at the lifestyle of Jesus. And as Christ followers, our job on planet Earth is to live like Christ, to mimic and pattern the lifestyle of Christ. And so um, it'd probably be really good to know 
why Jesus came. And it'd probably be really good to know why Jesus is here. And in Luke 19, 10, um, the, the, the gospel of Luke makes this very clear why Jesus came. And it says this, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. The son of man, Jesus Christ came here for one reason. He came here to seek and to save the lost. And so this weekend, we're gonna kind of hang out where we've been hanging out all week long. And if you've been here over the last few weeks, we've been in this story called the prodigal son, which in Christendom and Christianity, it's, pr- it's a pretty famous story. Um, but the story of the prodigal son kind of has interesting origins. You read it and it almost comes across like, fine literature. It's almost like Jesus was trying his hand at writing a short story, like, man, I'm going to write an amazing story for Christians all over the world to read for millennia. But really, when you read the context of the prodigal son within the context of Luke 15, you see something that's interesting. Really, this story is shared as an off-the-cusp story that Jesus shared to a bunch of Pharisees. And in Luke 15, 1, if you have your Bible, you can open up there. If you don't have it, it's going to be on the screens for you. But in Luke 15, we read this. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. It's interesting. This made the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people. And watch this. Even eating with them, even eating with them. In the context here in the early portions of Luke 15 and throughout the gospel narrative of Luke, the word sinner is associated with people that made a deliberate choice to no longer follow the law of God or the law of Moses. If you come to Red Rocks Church, you'll probably just hear us refer to it as the law. Essentially, Christians back in the day, um, religious people back in the day, were given a book of rules. And during this time, it was about 613 rules that people were given, and they were the outline for the things that you are to do and things that you are not to do in the life of a Christian or somebody that would claim to be religious in this setting. And What was taking place is over time, a lot of the religious leaders were adding to this rule book. And so it went from 613 to 614 to 615 to 616. And they kept adding to the rules. And so what they were starting to see is this mass migration from trying to to live within the confines of the laws of God. And they were seeing this huge straying away and these people that were just giving up on living out this religious life. And so what the Pharisees take note of is Jesus was with these people that were deemed um, notorious sinners, aka everybody and their mom knew that these people weren't Christ followers. These people didn't care a lick about the law of God, the law of Moses. But it's interesting because as you read through Luke, um, there's something that jumps off the pages and it's this, that Jesus came for those people. Jesus came for those people that were going to be in strict opposition, people that were going to stray away, people that were just going to throw in the towel on trying to live in a way that was right. And the Pharisees were perplexed. They were thinking, how could a man that is God in the flesh spend so much time with sinners and then he would go above and beyond that and he would enjoy their presence and he would share a meal with them? How could Jesus do this. This doesn't make any sense. From the Pharisees' perspective, they're looking at Jesus sharing this meal and they're going, surely, surely the Son of God, if he, this is the Son of God, God incarnate, wouldn't he want to spend time with people like us? 
We could talk about the application of law in common culture. We can talk about theological and doctrinal terms. We, we got a lot in common. He'd want to talk with the smart religious people, right? He'd want to hang out with us. He'd want to eat with us. But notice that they were perplexed when they looked at Jesus and they said, not only is he spending time with sinners, but some translation says it appears as though he's enjoying their presence. It appears as though he's enjoying their presence. Spiritual outcasts crazy. I always laugh when people uh, come into church maybe for the first time and they, they, they make claims like this. Man, I don't really go to church normally because I don't necessarily feel like I fit in. I don't necessarily feel like they're my people. I feel kind of out of place. When the whole reason that Jesus came in the first place was for people that were lost and hurting and broken and living in a way that was in opposition to the law of God. And so we're going to dive into Luke 15 and in the complexity and the depth of Luke 15. Um, we really begin to see kind of the gospel story within a gospel story. It's like the heart of God on behalf of the heart of man. And so we're gonna dive on in, but if you would, let's pray. Um, I'm expecting that God's gonna speak to our hearts as it relates to some of these stories in Luke 15. Lord, we just dedicate these next moments to you. God, I just pray that as we look to your word, God, your word is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. And God, I pray that today you would bring clarity and direction in the way that we are to live today in 2017, Denver, Colorado, or wherever people are gonna be watching this message from. God, I pray that you would burden our hearts for the things that burden yours. God, that we as Christians would begin to care about the things that you care about. Lord, we pray this all in your precious son, Jesus' name. And everybody at Red Rocks Church said... Amen, amen. I'm gonna confide in y'all if that's okay. You got, this is a cheap counseling session. It's free for me. But I gotta get some things off my chest. There's a problem in my house, the Johnson house. And the problem, it stems from me. I'm the one that's to blame. Um, the problem is that I put down things that are important to me in the weirdest places and I completely forget where I put them. A lot of the times um, when I come in from, to the house, I'll put my keys in a particular place and my wife will move them telling me that she's cleaning up and I won't be able to find them for a long period of time. Um, this creates a dilemma most of the time and a tension point in my house because um, in the moment when I need these items most, they can't be found because they weren't where I put them last. And so if you're in my house for like 11 minutes, you'll probably start hearing something like this. Hey, babe, where's my car keys? Hey, babe, where's my wallet? Hey, babe, where'd you put my charger? It seems like it's a pattern inside of our lives. My wife's like, I put them exactly where they're supposed to be. But in frantic, have you ever been in a position where you needed your car keys, you got to get out the door, and you have no clue where they are? Have you ever been there? For, it's like the first three seconds of the search is calm, cool, and collective. And then it's like a, a switch gets flipped and you're frantic and you're throwing couch cushions and you're knocking over your kids and you're plowing through your wife and you're, you're just trying to do everything that you can to find your car keys. Couch cushions are getting tossed around the room. Pants are getting, the pockets pulled out. And you're looking everywhere that you possibly can to try and find this thing that you lost. It's interesting because I've never met somebody that in the moment of frantic searching, did they ever stop and go, 
All right, everybody, I know that my car keys are lost, but can we just take this glorious moment that the Lord hath provided and thank God that we have a reliable vehicle sitting out there in our driveway. I've never heard somebody say, okay, I know we're trying to find the car keys and we gotta get out the door, but God, thank you that I have some unbelievable kids and thanks for this roof over our heads. Thank you, Lord, for my bride. She's amazing. She serves so well, so selflessly. I've never met somebody in the moment of searching that has taken a moment and left the feeling in the pursuit of searching. Why? Why is it that when you and I lose something, nothing else matters but the thing in which we're searching for? Come on, somebody. You know what it's like when you're sitting there and you lose the remote to the television. It's like frantic panic breaks out through your entire house. You're, it, the, the, the search starts like this. You're reaching around the couch cushion and you're reaching under your legs, trying to find it. You're reaching under the sofa. And then once you can't find it, you're pulling the couch up. Who cares about the couch? You're throwing kids. Nothing else matters until what has been lost is now found. You could just as easily go up and turn the, the channels on the television, on the side of the television, but there's something in you that goes, I need my remote. Why? Because when you lose something of value, nothing else matters. And we see this when we look at this story in Luke 15. For the heart of God for humanity, while he is here, while he is active in and through our lives, there's nothing else that matters but searching and saving that which is lost. That which is lost. So we're going to continue reading on. And the first story that we get this example from is found in Luke 15, verse 3. So if you got your Bibles, pull, pull that open. And this story was given in response to the Pharisees that were saying, look, Jesus is with all these, these notorious sinners. What, this is crazy. He's even sharing a meal with them. And Jesus shares this story in response. And he says this, Luke 15, verse 3. So Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go and search? If you have your Bibles, underline that word. Go and search for the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. And when he arrives, he'll call together all of his friends and his neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I found the lost sheep. Notice what Jesus says. In the same way, there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over the 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. So Jesus is saying, listen, I'm going to share this story with you in the context that's going to make sense. You guys... During this time, you all get the shepherds. You all understand sheep and shepherds. And so I'm going to communicate this in a way that's going to make sense to you. If you were a shepherd and you had 100 sheep, 99 of them were safe in the pasture, just baying or whatever sheep do. They're, they're safe and they're happy. If one of them strays away, would you not leave the 99 in the safety of the wilderness or in the safety of, of the sheep pasture to go and find the one that is lost? I don't know about you, but I'm so glad that center point of the heart of God is a God that says, I am willing to leave the 99 that are safe, leave the 99 that have, that have met me, that have found me, that have become righteous in order to find the one that has gone astray. I don't know about you, but that's the good news of the gospel. And Jesus is saying, listen, so much more so when the heart of a sinner 
comes and is restored back to the heart of God, so much more so does heaven rejoice and celebrate. Jesus is giving us a snapshot into his heart towards humanity. I don't know about you, but when I read this passage, the question that I get inside of my heart when I read this, if our job is to mimic the heart of God, Jesus says that when the shepherd finds out that one of his sheep has gone astray, he goes and he searches. And so if you're taking notes, the first question that I wanna ask to us today as Red Rocks Church family is, will you search? Will you search? I don't know if you've ever been in a situation, but like I said earlier, I'm a ministry kid. Um, My dad was a youth pastor for about 15 years. A lot of amazing stories out of that. A lot of funny stories for a sermon on another day. Um, But my dad would oftentimes take his youth leaders and a lot of his youth students away on like a team building trip to a place called Six Flags Great America. It's like the Disney World of the Midwest. If you've never been there, it's okay. Go to Disney World. Um, But for us, that was amazing. And so my dad, what he would do is he wouldn't just take his youth leaders and all of his students. He would also bring all of us eight kids along, which my perception is if you have eight kids, you should never be allowed to leave your house ever. Um, But my parents um, loaded us up think about this, all eight of us up into our van. I don't know how you fit eight kids into a van. I feel like maybe in heaven, they're going to have these plaques up in the, in the hall, in the worship center in heaven. It's going to be like, David slaughters Goliath. And it's going to be like, Jesus turns five loaves and two fish and feeds thousands. And Moses parts the Red Sea. And Ron and Marion Johnson fit eight kids into a van. It was like a, a work of God. But my parents loaded us all up, all eight of us, eight kids, doesn't make any sense. We have any Jim Gaffigan fans in the house? Come on. Jim Gaffigan says, if you want to know what it's like to have kids, imagine that you're drowning and then somebody hands you a baby. (laughs) For my family, it's like, imagine that you're drowning And somebody hands you eight babies in a youth ministry. It was like constant, constant chaos. And so my dad takes us all, Six Flags Great America, super fun, team building, woo, it's gonna be awesome. Um, But within like five minutes of us being there, my younger brother, Joel, is nowhere to be found. Any of you guys that have kids know what it's like to be in a public setting like that, be it Disney World or Walmart. You know what it's like when your little kid goes astray there's like the, once again, three seconds where the search is calm. You're like, oh, surely he's somewhere. Surely he's just talking with someone. Surely he's with so-and-so. And then a switch gets flipped and it, it turns into complete chaos. And you're like, oh my gosh, somebody snatched him. Somebody stole him. And everybody goes frantic for a couple moments. You're searching in the weirdest places. You're like looking in trash cans and kicking open stalls. And you're trying to find him. Somebody snatched my kid. Somebody stole him. I'm gonna find him. I'm gonna find him. And you're looking in all the most bizarre places you're looking in all the most weird places. You don't care that you spent $50 on the ticket. You don't care that you're with there, you're, that you're there with a group of leaders and you're doing team building. You don't care that you have seven other children that are safe and sound right here. You're like handing them off to, to complete strangers. You're like, you, sir, can you take my child? I got to go find my lost son. And I'm like, dad, I don't know this man. I don't want to be with this guy. But you're doing everything in the most bizarre ways. Why? Because when something that is of value gets lost, nothing else matters. Nothing else 
matters. If you've been in that situation, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Friends don't matter. Pastor Ron, hey, how's it? I don't care. I'm looking for my son. You start to feel the weight of the situation when you start to think about, man, what must be going through his mind? Is he in danger? Is he in pain? Is he confused? Is he, did he just lose sight of us? Is he scared? Does he know where he's going? I wonder if he's safe. Is he okay? What's going on? When something that is of value to you, nothing else matters. Why? Because when something of value is lost, Nothing else matters. And the question, Red Rocks, for us today in 2017 is, if we want to be like Christ, will we search for people that are lost and broken and hurting and dying? Next time that you're at work, will you search? Next time you're at the gym, 1,001, 1,002, will you search? Next time you're at your kid's ball game, will you search? Next time that you're getting your favorite dish from your favorite restaurant, will you search? Next time somebody, some little millennial is handing you a coffee, your barista is handing you a coffee, will you search everywhere that you go? Will you live with the eyes of Christ that while something of value is lost, nothing else matters? Nothing else matters. And Jesus goes on and he gives another story, another example. In Luke 15, verse 8, he says this, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? Notice, and when she finds it, She'll call all of her friends and neighbors and say, rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. And in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. The message from this story is, will you sweep? Will you sweep? I don't know about you, I don't know if you've done a lot of sweeping, but the goal of sweeping is to go in all of the nooks and crannies, all of the dark spots. You're sweeping through the things that are rubbish, the things that are trash, to find in this situation something that is of value. And to to give some context to this story, um, in Luke 15, when it's talking about 10 coins and she loses one, back in this time, women that were married would wear a headdress. And on the headdress, it would have 10 coins on the front. So when a woman lost one of the coins, ladies, it'd be like losing your wedding ring in your house. And so this isn't like, oh, she loses one penny. Well, she has 10 more. She's fine. No, this is like, I just lost my wedding ring in my house. So she says that she grabs a lamp and she grabs a broom and she begins to sweep her house. The heart of God in this situation, when it spoke to me as I read it, the conviction I had in my heart is Ronnie. Can you see people the way that I see people? Because oftentimes in Christianity, we get around a lot of good looking people and people that can hide their problems and hide their issues. And what happens as a natural byproduct, we're not doing it on purpose, but when we interact with people that look a little bit differently than us, they've made some poor life decisions, the residue and the dirt and the baggage and the trash of their poor decisions is all over them. We brush past them and go, trash, totally doesn't believe what I believe, totally, totally different than me. Man, what a sinner, what a notorious sinner. I don't wanna be like that guy. 
But the heart of God is, will you sweep past the residue that is on people to see the value that is within them? Will you sweep? Will you sweep? Because for me, the challenge that I often have is, Ronnie, can you sweep past drug dealer and see mighty man of God? Can you sweep past abortion? Can you sweep past divorce? Can you sweep past broken lifestyle? Can you sweep past unemployed? Can you sweep past race? Can you sweep past addicts? Can you sweep past, man, what a scarred and broken behavior? Can you sweep past insecure? Can you sweep past adulterer? Sweep past all of those things in order to find the thing that is most valuable, and it's the person themselves. Can you see people through the eyes of Christ and see value where everybody else finds dirt They find trash and they find something that has no value at all. Will you sweep in the dark places of the earth, in the dark places of your community, the places that nobody else wants to look? Will you sweep past the dust and the dirt that is on people and see the people for the value that is within them? Notice that in Luke 15, verse 1, the tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus. And so the Pharisees, feeling the pride of their own heart, says, Jesus, why would you want to be with these people? And I just feel like if you're placed in this position, as Jesus is sharing these stories, he's looking at them going, listen, all that you see is notorious sinner. But for me, all that I see is an opportunity for victorious. All that you see is sinner. All that I see is son and daughter. All that you see is thug. All I see is someone that bears my image. All that you see is addict. I see the potential for a mighty man of God, an amazing testimony of grace. All you see is anger, but all I see is a man that just needs a father. Red Rocks, can we sweep past the dust and the dirt that is on people and help uncover the value that is within each and every single human being made in the image and likeness of God? Will you sweep? Several years back, I moved out here to work for a home builder, custom home builder, and During that time, I learned many, many, many things, but one of the lessons that I learned in this time just stood out to me in the context of this passage. And uh, as I moved out, I was one of the first employees, and it was just me and the two founders of the company, one of which goes to Red Rocks Church and some of our closest friends. But we we were in this house, and, and I was a construction manager, and most of my life I spent sweeping out houses, getting them ready to show homeowners, do a walkthrough. Does everything look cool? Does everything look right? Everything's in its right place. Doorways are good. Cabinets are good. And so one afternoon... I was in the house sweeping with one of the owners of this company and we're sweeping out the house, getting ready, homeowners coming, homeowners coming. And we want to make them proud, want to make them happy, want to build a good name. And so we're sweeping, the homeowner comes in and she goes, what a surprise. So cool to see the owner of the company sweeping with the construction manager of the company. And I'll never forget this because this statement ended up becoming a mantra through the culture of the company. And the, 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 the thing that came out of his mouth next blew me away. And he said, ma'am, at this company, 
everybody sweeps. At this company, everybody sweeps. And as I was reminded of that story, my prayer is, God, could we be a church that everybody sweeps. It doesn't matter if you're the CEO. It doesn't matter if you're a doctor. It doesn't matter if you're unemployed. If you're stay-at-home mom, doesn't matter if you're ex-addict. It doesn't matter where you've been to or where you've gone. The question is, everybody in this part of the house sweeps. Everybody at Red Rocks Church sweeps. Can we be a church where each and every one of us commit to sweeping through the dark crevices of our community, finding the people for the value that is in them, not the residue that is on them. Will you sweep? Will you sweep? Will you sweep? I think it's easy for us to come in here. We do a lot of fun things at Red Rocks. We've got great discipleship programs, great teaching, great preaching, great worship. And it becomes really easy if we're not careful to come into this place and enjoy all of the blessings to eat like Jesus but not walk like Jesus. And oftentimes we can come in here and some of our rap sheet is, I got good church attendance. I read my Bible today. I prayed today. Man, I'm fasting right now. That's two checks. And very easily, we can miss sight on the fact that the heart of God on our behalf, that the heart that we should have as Christ followers is that our life is not about church attendance. It's not about podcasts. It's not about music listened to. It's not about hours logged in your prayer closet. The goal of our lives as Christians is as we receive the saving grace of Jesus, this instantaneously from the day one that we're saved becomes a search and a rescue mission for lost and broken people. And what happens if we're not careful we go to a good church that got a lot of amenities, a lot of great things. This place can so quickly turn into a country club for Christians, a community group for Christians, instead of being a place where we gather together and we celebrate everybody that the Lord has found, everybody that the Lord has restored, everybody that we're bringing, all the prodigals that we're bringing home. If we're not careful, we can forget that this is a search and rescue mission. One of the last things that Jesus said is found in Matthew 28, 19, before leaving planet earth and ascending into heaven, this was Jesus' last and final commandment to us. Theologians call this the great commissions. And it says this, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. I love the way that the amplified version says this. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, and then it expounds. Help them to learn of me, to believe in me, and obey my words. Red Rocks, this is the last command from Jesus before leaving planet Earth. The last and final charge. If you had one more moment to say something to the people that were closest to you, don't you think you'd wanna say the most important thing that you possibly could? The next verse that I want to read to you is frightening. It's frightening. In John 14, verse 15, look what the gospel says. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. 
I know a lot of people, I get to meet with a lot of people in my job that feel like they love the Lord because they pray a lot. They feel like they love the Lord because they read their Bible. They feel like they love the Lord because they're here every weekend. They love the Lord because they serve. They love the Lord because they open a life group. They love the Lord for a lot of things that are commands from God, so continue in them. But when you look at their lifestyle, you can say, I'm gonna judge you on one criteria. Are you winning lost people. And that's going to be my metrics by which I judge whether or not you love God or you don't love God. God's last and final command to you and I as believers is go and make disciples. Teach them about me. Teach them about the way that I want them to live. Instruct them in the ways that you have learned. And if you love me, keep that commandment. I don't know about you, but as a pastor, Sometimes I can push off this responsibility for, we're shepherding a lot of people, Lord. And I counseled several people this week, Lord. And I miss the people that are in my neighborhood. And I miss the people in my interactions of getting my coffee. And I miss the people at the gym. And I miss the people that I'm interacting with, even in the hall of our own church. I miss it, I miss it, I miss it. And if God were to come to me and say, Ronnie, I asked you to keep my commandment. My command was to love and search for lost people. Do you love me? I feel like I might be left going, oh God, give me another second. Give me another chance. I gotta make a couple phone calls. Call the people that I could have called a while ago, should have called a while ago, but I haven't. And I have a question for you. And it's a question that I believe is rhetorical in nature, but for most of us in our interactions, in in our involvement in our workplace, in our involvements in the gyms, in our involvement in the community, in our neighborhoods, could you just for a moment picture one person that you interact with that needs Christ? Just one. Picture their face, picture their name, get get them in your mind, get them good and clear in your mind. Pick one person. Most of us can think of a dozen, but just pick one. What if I were to tell you that we only have 24 hours left here on planet Earth? 24 hours, and then it's all over. Everything that you've worked so hard for, over. Broncos game, over. Your family, over. All your accolades, over. Everything that you've worked for, all the money in your bank account, it's all over. Once we die, it's gone. When Jesus comes back, it's gone. We're not taking it with us. You have 24 hours left. If you could just picture that person inside of your mind, just for a brief second, what would you tell them knowing that we're living the last 24 hours of our life? What would you say to them? What lengths would you go to reach them? I want you to think about it. You got 24 hours left and the time is ticking. Time is ticking. We're almost to 23 hours. Time is ticking. What would you say to them? What lengths would you go to knowing that their eternity is on the line? What would you do to just grab them and to pull them into this reality of what you and I know, the saving grace of Jesus? What lengths would you go to make sure that the people in your life didn't die without knowing the good news of the gospel? What lengths would you go? And now the question of my heart is why haven't you done it already.
See, time creates an urgency, and the foolishness of man's heart is, I got tomorrow, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll save it for another day. I'll wait till they have crisis in their life, and then they really need God. See, knowing that an end is coming gives us urgency in our heart, and the cry of my heart today is, Red Rocks Church, would we be a place that would search and sweep for lost and broken and hurting and dying people, and we would live as though we only had one more moment left to live, and then it's all over. Everything we've worked so hard for, all over. The money you made, all gone. Guess what you can take with you? The people that are in your life. Please, please, please do not go to your grave. Do not allow the, the presence of God to come back, Jesus to come back with this Rolodex of names of people that you never talked to. Why? Because they didn't matter to you. Eternity's at stake. Lives are at stake. And not only for these people, but for their children and maybe for years and years to come. You never know the impact that one invitation could make. And most of us, just at the fact of inviting somebody into this reality that we call Christianity, this free gift of salvation. Just at the thought of asking somebody, we kind of clam up. I'm like, oh no, what if I, I'm kind of new to this. I don't really, I'm not really a good reader and I haven't read enough of the Bible. And what if they have questions and I can't answer them? And what if, what if, what if, what if, what if? For me, one of the best examples of evangelism Hear me out on this. One of the best examples of evangelism is found in John 4. And in this interaction, we find Jesus, the savior of the universe, meeting with this Samaritan woman at a place called Jacob's Well. And Jesus looks at this woman who is broken and marred. She has a past. She comes from a heritage of compromise. She's an outcast in the eyes of the Jews, the people that are God's people. She's an outcast, yet Jesus is sitting with her. And notice what takes place in John 4, Jesus has this moment where he prophesies into her life. He tells her everything about her life. And she has this moment. She leaves and goes back to her community. The Bible tells us that dozens of people came back with her and encountered Jesus for the very first time. Notice her sales pitch to sell Jesus to people. John 4, verse 29. She said, come and see. Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. And she even ends it with a question, could it possibly be the Messiah? She's not even confident. She hasn't even come into the saving grace of Jesus for more than a few moments. And the first inclination that she has is, oh my gosh, something has just so radically transformed my life. It's so real. It's so genuine. I just got to go tell people. I don't necessarily know that I have all the answers. I don't necessarily know that I have all the, the insights. I don't necessarily even know how to explain it. But all that she did is say, just, just come and see. Just come and see. Some of us are so fixated on having all of the answers and it's comical because the communicators on this stage don't have all the answers. The people to your left and to your right don't have all of the answers. You will never have all of the answers. Yet there's this timidity in our heart which is just a lie from the enemy to keep you silent. Some of you just need to go in your communities this week with three words. Come and see can't explain it, don't necessarily know how to quantify it, I can't prove it scientifically, I don't necessarily know where to find it in scriptures, but just come and see, come and see this man that's changed everything for me, come and see, and all that I'm asking is that we as a church, could we, could we, would we give the best of our efforts to be a search 
in a search and rescue party for our community. Think about this, in this room right now, there's several hundred people in the service prior, there were several hundred people in our auditoriums all over Denver and, and overseas in Brussels, there's thousands and thousands of people. Think about with me, if we left this place today with the one person that was in your mind and you went wholeheartedly after that person this week, I want you to think about the thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people that would be impacted, maybe just through one invitation. That's the power of the local church. I'm telling you what, God's coming back when we live with that urgency. Each and every one of us leave here searching. Each and every one of us leave here sweeping Will we be a church that searches and sweeps? I believe we could be the biggest search and rescue party that this world has ever seen. And that's just talking about Red Rocks Church. I believe that God's doing something very profound, not only in Denver, but overseas and across the world through Red Rocks Church. And I believe that he's doing so for such a time as this, because if we as a church could just wrap our minds around the fact that all that it takes maybe is three words and an invitation, maybe just three words, and we could turn this entire city upside down. Some of you have relatives that somebody in this room works with I bet you somebody in here has been crying out for their son, crying out for their daughter, crying out for their mom, crying out for their dad. And one of us could be the bridge that pulls them into eternity. Red Rocks Church, will we sweep and will we search? You can stand and we're gonna pray. Next weekend at all of our locations, we're gonna throw the biggest party that we've ever thrown before. When you look at the story of Luke 15, Luke 15 recounts that the older brother was standing outside, the prodigals just come home, they're throwing a party and the older brother says that he could hear music and he could hear dancing. Next weekend at every single one of our locations, you do not wanna miss out because we're gonna throw the biggest party for all the prodigals, all the people that don't belong in church, all the broken people, all the people with the past, everybody that comes from a broken background. We're throwing a big old party here at Red Rocks Church. And on your seat when you came in today, there was a card. That card wasn't just an information card, it's an invitation card. And so um, write down the information, make a mental note. But that card for you is for that person that you had in the back of your mind. You gotta invite him, you gotta invite him. Next weekend, my hope is that we get shut down by like the fire marshal because we have no seats and everybody's standing and it's a fire hazard. My, my hope is that we have so many prodigals, so many hurting people, so many people that don't belong in church to get to experience what you and I get to experience on a weekly basis. My, my hope is that prodigals come home for the first time and it could be based upon three words that you communicate. Just come and see. Just come, just come and see. I can't put it into words. Just come and see. Just come and see. Just come and see. While we worship, I want you to think about that person that I believe the Lord put on your heart as it relates to this invitation card. 
I want you to pray for this person. Some of you need to send a text message right now in worship when God is working on your heart. Don't allow yourself to leave and fall into fear and, and inadequacy. Text that person right now because I believe that God's gonna do some very, very profound things. My hope is that our church experiences some crazy, crazy growth and not for the sake of growing our church, but for the sake of making heaven more crowded, which is what we're invested in anyway. Send a text message during worship. Hand out that invitation card this week. Will you search? Will you sweep? If we're committed to that, we'll be the biggest search and rescue party this world has ever seen. Let's pray. God, I just feel like we're sitting in the weight of an unbelievable moment. God, for so many of us that follow you and claim you as our Lord and Savior, we wanna mimic you. God, we wanna do all the right things. We wanna read our Bibles. We wanna pray. We wanna go to church. But there's something in our hearts, God, that brings this opposition towards inviting people into this encounter, into this experience. And God, I just pray right now, Jesus, would you just burden people's hearts? God, that we would live as though we have one moment left and it's fleeting. It's like a vapor. It's gonna be here today and it's gonna be gone in the next moment. God, I pray that our priority wouldn't just be upon our businesses. It wouldn't just be upon our families. It wouldn't just be upon our friends that already know you and are saved, but God, that our hearts would be burdened for people that don't know you. And if it isn't for our invitation, God, they may spend eternity separated from you. Lord, burden our hearts. I am so, so, so excited for next weekend, what we're gonna experience at every single one of our locations, the party of a lifetime as we throw a party for people that are far from you. God, it is so like you to throw a party for people that don't feel like they deserve it. God, we love you and we celebrate what you're doing in this place. It is such an honor to be a part of your church and a part of what you are doing throughout the world. In these next moments, God, we dedicate our time to you. And everybody at Red Rocks Church said, Amen. Red Rocks, let's worship.